Grace and peace to you from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth. Our text for our sermon is Isaiah 53, verse 10. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life a guilt offering, he will see his offspring and prolong his days and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. This is the word of our Lord. What a contrast from Good Friday. First of all, on Good Friday, I was not able to get to the church at all. But traditionally on Good Friday, we really are celebrating a funeral. And we come into the church in silence. We leave in silence. Christ's body is placed in the tomb. We We imagine the stone being rolled over it and nothing. And now here we are on Easter, rejoicing, singing, Alleluia, he's risen, he's risen indeed. What a contrast. Death has been conquered. It has been swallowed up in Christ's victory. And there's quite a contrast between verse 10 and verse 9. We'll see that in the second half of the sermon especially. But we continue our our series, Why Must the Servant of the Lord Suffer? And let's... Look at verse 9, which was Good Friday's text, where we are told, And his grave is assigned with the wicked, yet with the rich in the state of his death, although he had done no violence and no deceit is in his mouth. From the moment he raised Lazarus, the Sanhedrin said, Enough, we've got to kill this man. They had to figure out a way to pull him away from the crowd so they could get it done. What a contrast as we look, as they actually look for charges so that they can legally murder him and then bring him before Pilate where we see Pilate's cowardice and Pilate tries to push him off on Herod where Herod is indifferent, especially since he doesn't give him his miracle show. And so it appears that he is murdered. It appears that the Sanhedrin has got away with it, but that's not the case at all. On Good Friday, Jesus shouts out, it is finished and prays, Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit. The contrast here is in what really is behind the scenes of Jesus's death. We're told in the first two verses of today's text are the first two lines. Yet the Lord was pleased to crush him. The Lord caused the event of his grief filled sickness. Now, when we hear that the Lord was pleased to crush him, we don't want to think here that God the Father grabbed his son and said, now you get down to earth and take on human flesh because I'm going to really beat you. I'm so mad about these people's sins. The word used for Lord in Hebrew is is from that verb that means being. And it emphasizes that there is nothing that it interferes with God's existence. When God makes a promise, it's not like the many promises I make and then you you get a blizzard or something like that and you're unable to fulfill your promise due to circumstances beyond your control. That's not the case with God. And we have to remember, Jesus is also the Lord. He's God having taken on human flesh. So this isn't the father just beating his son in a temper tantrum. This is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit having planned in all eternity to take on human flesh and save you and I. We often ask the question, why did God allow Adam and Eve to fall into sin? And the answer is 
that the scripture gives now is because he had a plan to fix it. Any other questions with that, we'll have to ask when we are before the Lord in heaven. But it was, but the Lord was pleased to crush him. And that means Jesus himself as true God became, who became true man was pleased to take your and my sins upon his shoulders and be crushed proverbially for them. And we see that when he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And it reiterates that in Hebrew poetry, the Lord caused the event of his grief filled sickness. Remember a few sermons back, we talked about the fact that because Adam and Eve fell into sin, the world was subject to decay. So we get sicknesses that cause us all kinds of grief, like cancer, that they're not the direct result of any sin we've committed. It's the result of of creation having been subjected to decay because of Adam and Eve's fall so that we don't get caught and, and we don't get hung up on this world. But Jesus has quite a grief filled sickness. It's the crucifixion. It's when your and my sins are placed upon him and he suffers the abandonment of God for us in our place. But it was all God's plan made in eternity so that you and I would be saved. And so it is now that because of God's plan uh, that Jesus' suffering would be your and my salvation that we rejoice to know the tomb is empty. That is God's receipt for you, that Christ did all the work to save us. You don't have to sit back and worry. Oh, no, I forgot this one sin. What work do I have to do? What one percent is left? It was all God's plan that God would do 100 percent of the work so that when he sends somebody into your life, which was also part of his plan to share the good news that Christ did all the work to save you. God became a man specifically to save you while doing it specifically to save me, while doing it specifically to save all the world, he's also sent people into your life to share that good news so that you have been brought to faith and he keeps you in that faith. So why must the servant of the Lord suffer? His suffering is God's plan for our salvation. It looked like a murder job, And God used their murderous intents to place his son upon the cross for us. And Jesus used it for himself to be placed upon the cross. But the truth of the matter is Christ actually gave his own life. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. It looks like a murder job. God just used those people's bad intentions to do the greatest miracle in all creation to win salvation for you and I. Now our text continues... When his very existence will have placed a guilt offering, he will see seed, he will prolong days, and the pleasure of the Lord will prosper in his hands. Now that Hebrew word that I translate his very existence, that's the Hebrew word nephesh, which is the Hebrew word for soul. But it also emphasizes life. He gave the package deal. God became a man, so he's 100% God, 100% man. And he gave the package deal his whole life so that it would be a guilt offering. When we hear that Hebrew word guilt offering, we cannot help but to think of the temple where day after day, month after month, year after year, except for on the Sabbath day of each week, people would bring their guilt offerings. I have sinned. 
And the priest would inspect it. It's without blemish or defect. Jesus was perfect. He had no sin. He was without blemish or defect. If the animal passed those, then its throat was cut and hyssop plant was dipped into that blood and it was sprinkled on you. And the priest offered the rest of that animal on the altar as an offering for your sins. And so Christ gives his whole entire life. He's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And as we're told with that, when his very existence will have placed a guilt offering, he will see seed. Now, how does Christ see seed? This is the Hebrew word that we could also translate as offspring. And I think one of the clearest passages of scripture on this is John chapter 12, verses 23 through 24, which Jesus spoke on the night he was betrayed. Jesus replied, the hour has come for the son of man to be glorified. I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. So you put a seed in the ground like you're burying it, and then it becomes a plant. And then that plant produces many seeds. Christ dies first, and he rises first. But the, the first thing that you see giving life is the fact that the Holy Spirit in connection with that, has created that new person in you. When you have that new person, you have faith. That new person is alive in Christ. It's engrafted to Christ. And when you share your faith, God is using you to plant other seeds. And so this salvation prospers because, well, since Christ has risen from the grave and those first people who were mourning his loss heard the good news, oh, he's risen. This was all part of his plan. Well, Mary Magdalene couldn't keep quiet about it. Joseph, John, uh, John and Peter ran to see the tomb. They couldn't keep quiet about it. In fact, it spread. It spread to people in Jerusalem. On Pentecost Sunday, thousands were converted. It, spree, it spreads from Jerusalem to Antioch from, and, and other places near Jerusalem. And it spreads throughout the world. And it continues spreading to this day. Now, the ultimate seed as well, besides the fact that you've been brought to faith and you share your faith, is when Christ returns, you are going to be given a glorified body. But we also cannot help here but to see he will see seed. We cannot help, but that's the same in Hebrew. That would be the word that was that he himself had spoke thousands of years earlier to Adam and Eve when they had fallen into sin. When he said the seed of the woman will crush the serpent's head. He's crushed that serpent's head because all the devil has is to run up to God and say, here's this person's sins. Here's your sins. And God turns around and says, I don't know what you're talking about. I see the blood of my son. He's given that new person in you. But it doesn't end there. It says he will see seed and he will prolong days. The Hebrew conjugation users literally cause the event of making long days. How much longer can you make a day than to give somebody eternal life? Right now, your body is temporal. Your soul is not. If you die before Christ returns, your soul will go before the throne of the Lord and it will be in paradise until the day when God returns and gives you a new and glorified body. If we are the generation that Christ returns, then we get to forego death and are given that glorified body in the new heavens and the new earth where we will live eternally. Imagine not being subject to time anymore. You can't even do that. And eternity truly prolongs days as each person is brought into the faith. And we're told, and the pleasure of the Lord will prosper in his hand. The pleasure of the Lord is to save you. The pleasure of the Lord is to make you his child. 
The pleasure of the Lord is that you share that faith so that he has joy in using you to bring others into faith. And that's really a blessing you get. It's not like when a con man uses somebody to pull out a con for them and they don't even realize it. God actually privileges you to get to share that, to be part of his plan that others come to faith and it prospers. And that's a promise. So many times it looks like the Christian church is dying, is especially at postmodern world right now, is busy attacking it as some backwoods religion. And, and in a way, it's a reminder for us, let's make sure we're getting that word right. If we're going to be attacked, let's be attacked for having it right. But when we have it right, they should not see us as a bunch of judgmental people. They should see God's love prospering and pouring out of our hearts when we have his word right because we love his word. We began this series in Isaiah 52, verse 13, where we were told, pay very close attention. My servant has the knowledge to bring success. He continues being high. That was a reminder for us that that was true God who became true man. He may have been hiding his deity, but as true God, he's all knowing. That's omniscient. And Christ used that knowledge. He used that as the plan through which, yes, it looked like a murder job, but he used that so that he would be placed on an altar. In this case, the New Testament altar is the cross so that he would win salvation for you and it would prosper. We rejoice and scream out, Alleluia, he is risen. He's risen indeed, Alleluia, today. And as we continue asking that question, why must the servant of the Lord suffer? We see a turn there at the, in the second half of verse 10, where we're told this is all going to prosper just as we were told in 52 verse 13 so we ask that question why must the servant of the Lord suffer and on Easter Sunday we are reminded his suffering is God's plan for our salvation and salvation prospers in his hand Alleluia, he's risen, he's risen indeed. Alleluia, amen. Now may the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ, the great shepherd of sheep, equip you with everything good for doing his will. And may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen.